0: Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast, this is your host Stephen Robles and today I want to talk about AirPods Pro noise cancellation, Apple might be testing AI for Siri, and Samsung might be faking some moon pictures on their phones. This episode is brought to you by Notion AI, Headspace, and Collide. And joining me for a second week in a row because he covered for me, which I'm very thankful for, and Mr. William Gallagher. This is Wes Hilliard. How's it going,
1: Wes? Well, it's three weeks now, isn't it? I guess I was here with you two weeks oh, ago. Oh, that is but true. Welcome back. Uh I hope you enjoyed your thank you, thank you. podcast conference thing.
0: That's right, podcast conference. Thank you so much uh, to you and William for, for covering. I will uh, I haven't got a chance to listen to the episode i'll have to go back it is incredible that of all the weeks that i was not on the show apple music classical is officially announced and i do want to mention it because now i'm back on the show and i'm very excited for it i'm replying to every apple music classical tweet uh, in the hopes that maybe they'll give me early access or something but
1: (laughs) it is interesting that it has its own twitter account yeah and 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 There's been a lot of conversation around this. Um, I I don't know if you've been keeping up at all with your busyness, but irritation, I guess, that it's iPhone only. Um, It's not going to be on iPad or Mac. This whole lossless situation. How do you listen to it if you own Apple headphones? Why did it take so long? There's just a lot of conversation around it. And I'm just over here like, well, it's, you know.
0: (laughs) All right. Yes. I want to comment on it a little more. Real quick. Just want to give a five-star review. Shout out to Brandon Samples from the USA. Thank you for that. And I need to cover this very important news, which I'm sure William is sorry that he is not here for it. But there is actually, in celebration of season three of Ted Lasso, a Ted Lasso-themed ice cream. This is from Jenny's Ice Cream. I've had their brand before, but it is a, what is it, Biscuits with the Boss flavor of Jenny's Ice Cream. It's Ted Lasso on, like, the whole cover, like, the whole uh, wrapping is basically the Ted Lasso outfit. And it is vanilla ice cream with biscuits or maybe here in the U.S., more likely shortbread cookies, we would call them, and uh, that's the ice cream. So, have you tried it? Have you found this anywhere?
1: I haven't. I have no idea where to even begin to look. I, I'm. I guess it would just be in a ice cream freezer somewhere, not some boutique. But yeah, I assume. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to try.
0: Uh, yeah, I want to try this out for sure.
1: Maybe Target. Target has a lot of oh, weird Ted Lasso stuff. I think you can buy Ted Lasso Monopoly at Target. Really? Oh man, Ted it's it, it's fully um, merged. Like you can you can get all kinds of nonsense for Ted Lasso now.
0: Oh man, I kind of. I'd be about that. I mean, I bought William the Ted Lasso blanket, even though he's never saw the show, but uh, <laughs> then I, I want to try this ice cream. It looks fun. But anyway, that's their season three Friday, right? As, as the listeners listen to this, unless you... It's
1: a Wednesday show. Oh, it's a Wednesday show. Yeah, Wednesday it aired show. yesterday as we oh, record. Okay.
0: okay, I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it. I'm still catching up from Las Vegas, Nevada. And so I've not been able to do that yet, but okay, very cool. So episode one is already out. And I thought it was funny. I follow Apple TV Plus on Twitter, as you do. And they tweet every week, like the lineup of shows that are coming that week and the date. So on me, I probably should have (laughs) looked at that tweet, but I thought it was funny. It's kind of like the old school TV guide. I'm sure some of our listeners remember this. It used to be a paper book that you could buy at like the aisle of the supermarket as you check out.
1: Oh, TV Guide still exists. It's oh, just sure. awful. Yeah, <laughs> sure. You know, it's it's great as a paperweight. What's interesting about this Twitter account is, I mean, I've always followed it like as soon as it popped up um, in yeah, like yeah. 2019 or whatever. It started off as like, here's the three episodes that are coming out this week and now it's it requires a tweet thread because yes. there's just so much content coming out. Like, it reminded me that like extrapolations, uh, e- extrapolations? Yeah, extrapolations. Where, where, where's the impact emphasis on the syllables the emphasis but, um, is
0: on extrapolations that's
1: it uh there we go uh so anyway like that's coming out this week i'm like wow i want to watch that yeah it's it's definitely a fun little check-in anyway yeah
0: it's it's a tweet thread now they don't put the exact day each episode airs and i was confused it says just coming up this week and it says ted lasso premiere extrapolations monster factory servant shrinking which i've had i've heard several people say good things about shrinking i need to tune oh it's into
1: it's perfect as far as bandwagoning, it's the next Ted Lasso. Like everyone's oh. talking about it. It's um I mean it's the same people who made Ted Lasso. Okay. I told William this last week I'm telling you this now go watch it okay. immediately. Okay. It's okay. it's so good.
0: Well, that's very cool. So Ted Lasso ice cream, check out the season premiere. William, uh, you have to start a couple seasons back. Hopefully, he'll do it. We'll see. I don't think so.
1: No, he's done. <laughs> yeah, he's done. <laughs> he's so, happy it's over anyway. Right.
0: Exactly. <laughs> he'll be happy when the hype is done. I do want to mention Apple Music Classical, so obviously you and William talked about it last week, but I just want to say I'm very excited for it. I was 50-50 on whether or not this was actually going to be a thing that ever existed, so I'm very excited to see it. There were I know there were some people like, what is this even for? Why do you need a separate app for this? And I'm excited to try searching and browsing for like symphonies, concertos, different things. You know, when you look up classical music in the current Apple Music app, if you wanted to search for you know, Beethoven, whatever, if you were looking for a specific artist, when it comes to classical music, sometimes the artist could be listed as the composer. Sometimes the artist is the orchestra. Sometimes the artist is the conductor because it's like Leonard Bernstein in a special presentation. The artist could be a solo artist because it's a concerto. And so that kind of confusing searching and browsing of classical music hopefully will be addressed in this Apple Music Classical app, easier to find things, Uh, Just in the screenshots that they show, you can see like Beethoven and then they'll show works, you know, so this symphony, that symphony, and then you can look at different recordings of that symphony from different orchestras or whatever. And so I'm very excited for this. It is weird that it's not on iPad and Mac. Like you were saying, there was one listener, forgive me, I forgot his name, but basically, you know, he has his nicest speakers connected to his Mac where he listens to music, probably watches stuff. And for that, it's a little annoying that he can't use a specific app to browse the classical music that he probably enjoys listening to and hear it on his good speakers. I mentioned with Ventura, you can use your Mac as an AirPlay destination. So you could AirPlay from iPhone to your Mac and it should come through the speakers. But I'm not sure how that works with like Lossless and Dolby, whatever. So I don't, I don't know, there's not a great solution there.
1: It's gonna be difficult to understand this until we have it in our hands because is this a separate library? can you only access certain mixes and certain content in the Apple classical app? Or is it just basically a reskin of all of the content in Apple music? And if that's the case, then we'll, you'll be able to find your specific thing in the classical app, add it to your library, add it to a playlist, go to the Apple music app on your Mac and just play it from there. And the high res lossless and everything is still part of Apple music. That that's not a classical feature exclusive. So it's, Annoying. It's a workaround, but I don't know how this is going to work. I it, it would be weird to me to think that these are going to be completely separate libraries. I think you're, they're going to interact with each other in some way. Oh yeah. But I would really like it. Apple. Please let me turn off music recommendation algorithm. Like <laughs> messes <laughs> with if I'm in the classical app. Let that just be a completely separate entity, please. Yeah,
0: I do like that. You're going to be able to have like composer biographies, description of key works. You know, I think there'll be a lot more like nerdy information available to classic music lovers, classical music lovers.
1: If you've ever dived into the Apple Music app, there's actually quite a lot of content in there as oh, yeah. far as just information. I mean, the artist pages usually have a short to medium bio depending on what art, who, who the artist is, but there's usually a lot of information about that or you can just find a full range of interviews.
0: I am curious too, if they will ever get to the place of like the Berlin Philharmonic. So I'll put a link to this app. You can get it for iPhone, iPad or Mac. It is a digital concert hall. From the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, it is one of the most incredible experiences for classical music. You can watch videos. You can watch entire concerts filmed incredibly. You can watch interviews with the players. So you can hear from like the principal oboist of the Berlin Philharmonic. They even have musical scores that will scroll as you listen to a piece of music. So you can see the entire score as you go. It is probably the most incredible experience digitally that you could have with classical music obviously i don't expect apple music classical to have all of that but i definitely see a path forward where apple could include music videos from orchestras maybe interviews with those musicians that would probably muddy up the standard music app like there's probably not a huge audience that wants to see the principal violinist in an interview for the london philharmonic or something but it would be cool to have that.
1: I mean, I think it's kind of true. It's, it's really bloated with a lot of information. It's not just music anymore. There's a lot of video and other content and, and radio shows and all of this stuff. You have to really search to find things that you want. I keep forgetting to go back and listen to uh, certain radio shows because I'm not getting notifications for them when they come out. Like, it's like Apple should have five music apps or just disseminate the information better or give us notification systems or something. Because when I visit the Apple music app, I just feel so overwhelmed by all the things that I want to do with it. Like, uh, I I like that Marcos uh, Tanaka has like three different music apps. One of them's a like read it later music app called Music Box, where you can share songs and albums to it and say, I'm going to listen to this later. This is something I want to hear, but I don't have time right now. Yeah, kind of like a read it later app, right? He has an app that just takes all of the artists that you follow in Apple Music and tells you when their next release is, and lets you add it to your personal calendar. Yeah. that's the kind of stuff I wish Apple Music could do natively. Why isn't there just a Apple Music radio app that has scheduling and calendars and stuff? And I don't know. Yeah. Like, I like the idea the that has been opened with Apple Music Classical that there could be more genre specific or more content specific apps made by by Apple or even third parties, but yeah, we're getting there.
0: I will say uh, for saving later, just on a side note, I've been playing around with this app called AnyBox. AnyBox, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, I've kind of been just trying to use it to like put all my links there. I use Apple's reading list for articles sometimes, but then I find, you know, I have videos in my YouTube watch later. I have articles in my reading list in Safari. I've been trying to combine all of that stuff, and AnyBox has been pretty cool so far. I haven't used it extensively yet, but listeners, let me know if you have some kind of like read it later. I know pocket is out there. Instapaper is probably still a thing, but if there's an app that you like using, or if you use any box and you found it useful, let me know because you know, just curious about that.
1: I don't have a very good relationship with read it later apps. I tend to just (laughs) add things to it and then never go back and read it. So I just don't, I don't do that.
0: (laughs) That is, that is an issue I've had too. I almost use it as like a search database. So if there's maybe something I've wanted to buy for the house, or there is an article I wanted to read about a topic, I hopefully save it there. So when I have the thought one day, didn't I see something about X? I can go to that, just the one place, go to any box and search. And hopefully I saved it there rather than bookmarking in Safari or whatever.
1: Yeah. Having something centralized like that is nice. Lately, I've tended to just kind of used whatever localized system is available like you said like bookmarks uh in Safari I have a like shopping bookmark folder full of every time I discover a new website that I'm like I like stuff from this I add it to that or um you know just the notes app contains a lot of information or reminders like I it, I'm over 5 different places but honestly I think it works better for me because I'm going there and re- like seeing it rather than having it in this you know 15 layer f- folder structure in some app somewhere yeah
0: since you were talking about kind of how much stuff is in Apple Music, I was going to do this later, but let me talk about it now because it does affect iPhone users. Spotify had a stream on event, and I was kind of all in it because it was a lot of podcast information and news of what Spotify is doing for podcasters.
1: Yeah, they're giving up.
0: <laughs> no, no, certainly not. They rebranded <laughs> They rebranded Anchor to Spotify for podcasters. So if you had the Anchor app on your phone, that now says Spotify for podcasters. There's a bunch of other updates to podcasting I'll talk about in a second, but they were totally redesigning the app. And so when you said the Apple Music app has a lot of stuff, I immediately thought this Spotify redesign is going to be even more. They are changing the Spotify app to basically feature vertically scrolling video a la TikTok and Instagram Reels, YouTube Shorts. And that is going to be the browsing experience in the Spotify app.
1: In fact, it is. I believe it's already out for at least some users.
0: Yeah, for some users. And basically the Spotify app, if you didn't know, yes, it has music, yes, it also has podcasts, it also has audio books in there, and video podcasts, which is gonna be even bigger, that was some of their announcements, plus music videos. And so you'll be able to go into the Spotify app, maybe you can't even now, scroll through these vertical videos like TikTok, and it will have all that kind of content mixed together. It could be clips from a video podcast, It could be a music video, it could be an audio book, and then you'll be able to tap whatever the content that is and then go listen or watch the whole thing wherever that is. I've not played around with it but it seems like wild. I mean this is like the fact that vertical video is so pervasive that Spotify is designing their entire app around it seems pretty wild.
1: So I've heard from a couple of people about this. It's not actually designed entirely around it. It's just a section it's it's the browse. The, it's, it's the, it's browse the uh, discover yeah, the discover, discover tab. Yeah. It's interesting cuz I I read I read an interview one of the co-president uh he said basically that they designed the system t- Um, People are interacting with this kind of content everywhere rather than having to even open their recommendeds and go through skipping songs. Why not just have these little snippets of music play to them and they can say whether they like it or not almost like a Tinder experience and every time that a song shows up how long they listen to it whether they skip it whether they add it to their library all affects their spotify algorithms this system seems to be interesting i think it's funny that it is a little tiktok or instagram e in 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 its fashion um not really sure how that's going to play going forward but I like the idea of quick introductions. Here's 15 seconds, 30 seconds of music. Do you like this? And then later when you're not playing with your phone and you're just listening to music, you go to your recently added and then hear everything that you've just added from this little tool. I think it's an interesting concept.
0: It is. And when it comes to podcasts, which you are listening to right now, like what I hear at the podcast conference and what I hear literally everywhere is video is such a key part for discoverability for a podcast and for this apple insider show in particular there is no video so maybe we're shooting ourselves in the foot but this actually for spotify might help even our discoverability because it might play an audio clip from the show just showing the podcast artwork and if it plays an engaging clip which again this is the power of a platform apple podcast could do this too but for spotify which knows the retention graph for every episode that we publish It knows where listeners are engaged, where listeners drop off. And if Spotify can find the most engaged with moment of an audio podcast and then play that clip automatically on that browse feed without me as a creator having to do anything, that is a massive, massive value for discoverability, where people who might have never heard of the show could listen to Wes and I talking about Apple Music Classical for like 30 seconds, tap over follow the Apple Insider Podcast in their app. And now they're a listener and now they're a subscriber. And so there is huge value there. And so I'm I'm not wholly negative on everything that Spotify is doing. I will say Spotify is also going after Apple Podcasts specifically when it comes to subscriptions and support because Spotify is going to integrate with Patreon. So if you have Patreon content where listeners or viewers pay for that exclusive bonus content, they'll actually be able to listen and I guess, connect their Patreon account to Spotify somehow. And they'll be able to access that exclusive content directly in Spotify without having to do the weird private RSS feed, connecting and subscribing to like an additional show via RSS, which you can't even do in Spotify right now. Like you can't just put an RSS feed in there. And so that integration with Patreon is also going to open up doors for podcast creators and others to offer that paid for content and more easily accessible way, just like Apple podcast subscription has as well.
1: For all intents and purposes, if you get the company from the outside and uh, weren't told what it was and just just shown its books, you'd think it was a failing company just because they don't make any money. This this is all like you have to observe every single thing that they do, every single thing they announce as a revenue standpoint. And what does it mean to go so hard into this kind of podcasting because we saw over the last year um, Spotify and other people like Amazon and stuff had to back off heavily off of like these incredibly high paying podcasts because they just weren't doing what they thought it was going to do they weren't bringing the people they thought it was going to bring by spending millions of dollars on these expensive podcasts and instead they've pivoted to people like us making a show that's listened to by a generally sized group of people are going to come to the app to listen and then you know maybe browse some music, and that is the key here. And this this comes to the hi-fi stuff later that we're going to talk about. But Spotify wants to find every way to make more money, and one way to do that, and we've mentioned this before, is if you're a music app, and all of your debts go to the music industry and paying uh, for records, uh, you know, albums and music to be played on your system. Mm. Well, in order to pay less, you want people to use your app more and listen to less music. And how do you do that? Well, podcasts. And yeah. so it's very, there's a very clear through line here. And I'm hopeful that Spotify has learned its lesson a little bit and backs off this siloing thing, because if you're basically, you can only listen to me on Spotify, it's no longer a podcast, in my opinion. It's a Spotify radio exclusive, right?
0: Right. And that's one of the updates they actually announced, which was a positive move in my mind, where if you wanted to have a video component to your show. Let's say we had like HomeKit Insider. If we wanted the video version of HomeKit Insider to be to be available on Spotify, you had to host the show, audio and video, in Anchor, now Spotify for Podcasters. But that's actually one of the announcements they changed. And so if you want to add the video to your show inside Spotify, you can host your podcast wherever you would like, whatever host provider you're using already. And then you'll be able to add the video component in the Spotify for podcasters dashboard without having to host it with spotify and so that was like the first move where spotify i feel like loosened its grip Yeah,
1: that's a lessons learned kind of thing for sure
0: i think so and that again a positive move i think just like with apple Podcasts, you can host it anywhere and then you can add subscriber content or exclusive content inside apple Podcasts if you want to offer that but you can host wherever you'd like and so that, positive move i think
1: don't get me wrong as negative as i might be on the company i've we need Apple Music competitors, and Spotify sure. is an excellent Apple Music competitor, and I like certain aspects of it. I think it's an ugly app, and I'll Same. never use it. But <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> Apple should definitely be borrowing some of these ideas. Don't think I want the uh, For You tab to turn into TikTok. No, <laughs> I definitely no. don't want Apple Connect 2.0. The
0: <laughs> ping. Let's not bring ping back. We don't need ping. Right. <laughs> it's okay.
1: <laughs> Maybe if third-party developers, like I, I, I think I tweeted at uh, Marcos Tanaka again because he's all about making some Apple Music apps. I said, hey, make one of these little like Tinder-like swiping systems for going through Apple Music recommendations mm-hmm. because why not, yeah. right? you know, give us the option to play around with in this space uh, rather than being excluded from it entirely. So that that brings us to the other tiny little tidbit uh, for the Spotify announcement. So I mentioned an interview earlier with the co-president. Gustav Soderstrom was interviewed by Decoder, which is a Verge podcast. Yeah. They were going basically down the list. And this is where they discuss some of the why behind the TikTok thing they're doing. But at the very end, they pressured really hard it was kind of uh, impressive just how much they dug into the guy and he just refused to budge but where's spotify HiFi? fi mm. it was announced two years ago right going on three years i believe there's just no word from the company and finally he just says it's coming it's not an if it's a win uh no timeline but they are still doing spotify hi-fi it is it is actually happening but the reason why it didn't happen when they expected it to is because of what he said like changes in the industry and he wouldn't go any further than that. And then The Verge actually came out with an article uh, after the interview, citing their own sources, said, uh, basically, well, we talked to some people and the engineers at Spotify have said that they've had access to what is called Spotify Hi-Fi for over a year now. It's ready. Mm. Uh, they had to go through some you know, licensing stuff, but it just hasn't been done. And it appears that the problem is that Apple Music came out with Lossless and bundled it in at no additional cost, right. which completely destroyed Spotify's plans to charge a higher price tier, yeah. which would have been a, a good revenue driver.
0: Right. So they still said it's coming soon. I, I don't know. I don't know if Hi-Fi is really a selling point for most people.
1: And and, and when they asked like, what about uh, spatial audio that seems to be very popular? What do you think of spatial audio? And he basically said, no comment. Like, I don't have anything to say yeah. about spatial audio. Yeah. It's just like that. Because honestly, to me, I know it's a divisive topic, but that's the selling point of Apple Music's alternative listening styles.
0: Yeah. Also, Apple has the devices to buy along with your devices, like AirPods Pro with your iPhone or whatever, to experience spatial audio where spotify is not a hardware company like
1: this old car thing
0: they did sell the car screen thing but you know spotify i
1: think it was literally called the car right, thing.
0: spotify doesn't make headphones they don't make speakers they could technically try to pair up with sonos and offer some kind of like special sonos dolby atmos whatever but i think that's one of the issues of trying to have that as a selling feature apple can say spatial audio you know that thing that you have on your airpods that your speakers can do your home pods like Yeah, it's included.
1: Frankly, I'm surprised. And maybe this is just because they they probably have information we don't. But I'm surprised Spotify hasn't. Maybe that's just the power of AirPods and Beats. Because every time we get any kind of hint from the headphone industry, what's selling, it's like half of everything that sells is AirPods. 25% is Beats. And then the rest of everything else below that. And it's kind of insane how Apple's pretty much taken over that market. Because of course, yes, there's still the $12 headphones you can buy at the gas station. Skull Candy still exists. And then... Then you have the Bose's and Sony's, which are uh, selling three, $400 headphones that people buy but not in the volumes that you know airpods sell right so it's just interesting to observe this and then i guess yeah why not a partnership or why not try to make sonos branded stuff i mean if you remember before apple acquired beats uh, beats was all over uh selling its brand to other things like oh, hp yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. laptops came with beats audio or <laughs> uh you could buy a bmw i think with uh, beats audio system it in was, it so
0: yeah it was wild so we'll see we'll see if all that's coming soon This episode is brought to you by Headspace. Guys, I've used Headspace for many, many years, and I use it just when I traveled recently to Las Vegas for a podcast conference. I get a little nervous sometimes when I travel, and so what I did leading up to it, there's some great courses in the Headspace app about anxiety, even traveling for business, and just doing that little bit of mindfulness practice every day really helped me to enjoy the trip and be at ease while I traveled. I've done Headspace personally. I've done it with my kids and my family. Using Headspace has totally changed the game for me. Headspace helps improve mental health through guided meditations, mindfulness practices, breathing and calming exercises, and so much more. And here's what I love about it they give you tools to help reduce anxiety and help you sleep better. I've actually used many of the examples that I've listened to and heard in the Headspace app things about noting, things about cars on a road. I've shared these illustrations with my friends and family, and it even helps them. As I recall what I learned in the Headspace app Headspace combines scientifically proven benefits of meditation and mindfulness with modern practices through their experienced meditation teachers. There's even multiple teachers now on many courses, so you can choose the different voices, whichever you prefer. Really love it. And when you only have a few minutes to get in the right Headspace, there are programs to do on the go when you're pressed for time. That's what I do when I just traveled. Headspace has the world's largest library of content with over 1,000 hours of clinically proven mental health exercises. Headspace has helped me and more than 100 million people worldwide. They can help you too. Listen, you do not want to miss this. They've arranged something special with Apple Insider. For a limited time, all of you can try Headspace for free for 30 days, an entire month, by going to headspace.com slash AppleInsider30, all one word. You won't find this offer anywhere else. You have to use our link headspace H E A D S P A C E dot com slash AppleInsider30 to unlock all of Headspace free. For 30 days. Actually, that is an incredible deal. I have to encourage you to try it. I've been doing it for a long time. Even if you've never done any kind of mindfulness practice before, I encourage you to try it for just a few days, just a minute, two minutes every day for a week, you will see a huge difference. This is not something they normally do, this deal, so go to headspace.com slash Apple Insider30, all one word. That link is also in the show notes, and try it for free for 30 days. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. Let's move on quickly. The iPhone in yellow, obviously you guys already covered it last week. It is now available if you want to get the iPhone 14 or 14 plus in yellow. No iPhone 14 Pro new color, which seems interesting, but I just want to talk about this Instagram post that Apple shared promoting the yellow. It has got some (laughs) wild pictures, like uh, an older gentleman holding corn on the cobs up to his eyeballs. They put pineapple on pizza. They're shaking jello that's yellow. I don't know. It it didn't feel like an Apple-like images, but also, I guess, kind of fun. And so people are mad, like how much coverage the yellow iPhone is getting. And, you know, listen, it's been a little while since Apple had like a big product release. You know, it's been a few months. They're doing software stuff, but it's the first hardware thing people got to cover it you know what I mean just let them cover
1: it. well like, like I said last week it's it's just Apple they like to own the new cycle and because um they pre-announced it and then you have to go through the pre-announcement then the pre-orders then the shipping and now everyone has it like they get to own the new cycle for three weeks even if it's just a new iPhone color it's produced a lot of fun content like uh, I I like the random yellow photos everyone sharing online I believe uh, Stephen Hackett did a, did a video dressed in yellow with a bunch of yellow objects next to the yellow iPhone yeah, you know yeah, a lot yeah. a lot of fun Silly stuff going on around it, and I think that's fine. It's it's just an iPhone. I don't really think it matters that the pro phones don't get a new color because they're already selling as many as they can make. This has always been a sales bump for the quarter, and uh, doing it for the non-pro phone makes the most sense. Say, and again, we already have a gold pro phone. Like, what color yellow would it be? As uh, you know, orange or something. I don't know. Yeah,
0: that's true. All right, we were talking about AirPods Pro a second ago, and I did want to mention as I flew to Las Vegas last week. I brought both my AirPods Pro 2 and my AirPods Max because I asked on Twitter how people felt about both of those and noise cancellation. And I was curious, which one is more useful on a plane? Which one is better at noise canceling? So I brought them both, uh, which was cumbersome. And we flew Frontier Airlines, which has the smallest tray table possible uh, to have on a plane. And so it could barely hold my iPad Pro and Magic Keyboard to watch something. But I tried both just real quickly, kind of my experience. AirPods Max, listen, They sound great, the noise canceling is great. Because it doesn't have as tight of a seal on the ear as the AirPods Pro 2 having that like silicone tip, I did find that some of the lower end rumble, especially from the engines, actually come through when I was wearing the AirPods Max, but the noise canceling was very good at everything from mid to high. So like the whine of the air conditioner vents on the plane and anything other that was high pitched, AirPods Max did a really good job of cutting those out. Compared to the AirPods Pro 2, When I wore those, because of that seal on those silicone tips, did a really good job of cutting out that lower end, especially the engine rumble, but it did let through some of those higher pitches like the air conditioner. So kind of a a trade-off. Again, it's not a huge, huge difference. Both made it possible to listen to something and watch something, not be too distracted by everything going around me. But I will say, when it came to portability, the AirPods Pro 2 are just so much more convenient to have in your pocket to throw in the seat back pocket, which again on Frontier is so, so tiny and having to deal with the AirPods Max, you know, a privileged problem to have to have to do, you know, mess with the size of those things. But for me, if I want to be going on a short flight again, I'm just going to take the AirPods Pro 2. I feel like that was just the most convenient, still a really good listening experience. If I'm going on a longer flight, like some people had told me, you know, the international flights, Battery life might be a concern. You'd probably have to charge the AirPods Pro 2 at some point, which they charge pretty quickly if you have to throw them in the case for like 30 minutes or whatever. But the AirPods Max would probably last an entire international flight where the AirPods Pro 2 might die in the middle. So those are some of the considerations. But for me, if I'm flying anywhere domestically, AirPods Pro 2 is the deal. Well, me.
1: instead of buying AirPods Max, you just buy two sets of AirPods Pro 2, uh, two for the same sets. price.
0: That's right, which is still cheaper. It's <laughs> still cheaper.
1: I, I think the most interesting part of this conversation is, is the fact that we're having it. Three years difference, right? So AirPods Max 2019, kind of, basically the end of 2019. AirPods Pro 2, the uh, basically the end of 2022. The fact that we're comparing earbuds to over-ear headphones, noise cancellation levels, that would have been unheard of in 2019. And when the AirPods Pro were coming out, I remember, people were comparing them to the Bose Quiet Comfort and everything. It's like, it's not as good. It's like, yeah, it's their over here headphones. <laughs> but now here we are saying, well, they're fairly comparable. And it makes me interested in when Apple brings this H2 chip to AirPods Max inevitably. Um, if if we do get a second generation, I still believe we will. I don't, I don't see why Apple, they are still obviously selling these headphones. So I think a second generation is coming. Are you going to buy them day one, Stephen?
0: <sighs> that has been my question. I mean, I have to say, I'm here at my desk in my studio where I do all the things, videos, podcasts. I have my pair of new HomePods, which I have been listening to. Like I've actually listened to more music since getting these pair of HomePod 2s, just putting on a Hans Zimmer playlist and listening while I work. They sound so good. I really don't need noise canceling in this room, even with my kids and everything outside, because if I close the door and music's playing like it's I like that experience rather than having to wear headphones. I don't edit video with wireless headphones because there is a delay and Final Cut does a weird thing where when you hit the space bar, it takes a while to start playing because it's trying to like delay the audio for you. So it's in sync when you watch. So I can't edit with the headphones, which is a lot of what I do. And I'm going to edit this podcast on my iPad using Ferrite and I go on the patio I'd bring my AirPods Pro 2 just because they're smaller, compact. I just don't want to bring the big headphones out there. So I actually have not used my AirPods Max very much at all.
1: I think you'll I think you'll buy them.
0: I don't know what feature would make me want to buy them. I wish I had gotten a color. I will say that. I see a couple of people on the plane that had like the blue ones, and those were pretty nice. But I, I don't know what would make me want to buy them because I, I wouldn't use them. I wouldn't use them.
1: Well, think about what's changed uh, about Apple's audio systems since 2019. HomePod audio improvements, spatial audio improvements, algorithmic improvements, uh, the H2 chip for processing all of these things. Plus again, Apple Music having lossless audio. I feel like they have to address this in their next Pro headphones or what are they doing? There's a lot here that can happen. Again, maybe it won't fit your exact use case, but I, f- I feel like they're going to be very tempting headphones, especially if they can bring all this new technology and keep them at a at the same price. Yeah. Uh, I, and I mean, given that AirPods Pro 2 are still $250, I think that eliminates the idea that Apple's still considering making a middle tier over your headphone, like a, a beat Solo. It's fun to watch. Like I I actually, uh, we got to move on from headphones, but I actually wrote a Uh, what we call inside pages. It's our uh, kind of Wikipedia style information page uh, about Apple headphones. And one thing I I noticed I hadn't really thought of before was uh, Beats, they're basically down to just earbuds the only thing that they really make today is three products earbuds on a string thing the mm. i think beats x is what they're called yeah true wireless earbuds uh pro uh was beats fit pro um that's your apple h1 chip and everything that that's your airpods pro alternative that came out a, a couple years ago and then the most recent beats What what's that product called
0: mm, bro, i don't <laughs> I have no idea
1: the newest one it doesn't have an Apple chip in it, which is insane. Mm. Um, it's got a proprietary Beats chip in it, and it's made specifically for Android u- users. Uh, uh, Android slash iPhone users or people who use multiple products. Uh, it's called the Beats Studio Buds, and they're $150. Gotcha. Those are their primary things. And even the the uh, older Beats X don't really count on this because I think they're still using a W1 chip. They haven't been updated. So we're down to just two primary targeted products from Beats now that are both earbuds, both true wireless earbuds. And then there's these Beats Solo and Beats Studio over-ear headphones that haven't been touched really since 2016, other than getting like a chip change for Apple stuff. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that Beats has fallen down the, into this. And P, some people suggested that that brand's going away. I still don't think so. They're just too popular, and Apple owns too much of the headphone space. It's a win-win for them having them around. I just with the over-ear Beats basically dying out, there it can go one of two ways: is Apple going to release? less premium AirPods studio headphones (laughs) at like $300. Or are we going to finally see an upgrade to the Beat Solo or something soon?
0: We'll see. I still don't think I'll buy them. But anyway, we (laughs) got to get to a couple other news bits. (laughs) The headset keeps being rumored. Originally, it was Reality OS that was supposedly found in some code. But then Mark Gurman was like, no, that's old. It's actually going to be XR OS. And then we also had another article talking about that Tim Cook may launch the VR headset earlier than engineers want. I mean all of this to say if this thing doesn't get released at wwdc this year which is what in three months like just over it <laughs> just like totally over the vr headset
1: two two key points here uh the reality os thing german did actually pop up again to say the code that leaked was apparently old um right, it's right. referencing reality os from a while ago uh and there's even references to 2020 in there um and it was just accidentally published again uh, he still believes it's xros but i it's still funny to me that he's the only one saying this he must have a very specific source telling him this but uh the the tim cook forcing the engineers to push it out story i thought this was interesting yeah so there's a story by the financial times about basically what's going on inside apple and uh this vr headset and there appeared to be some confusion in reporting here and it's not technically wrong but it's the agree with gruber's take here the angle is wrong so Mm. tim cook isn't really you know forcing this headset to come out uh too early the argument is is the engineers don't want a headset at all they want to just wait until ar glasses apple glass whatever are able to exist you know four or five years down the line and then just release that and skip vr the vr uh, xr headset altogether mm. and tim Cook's saying no we need this in between product and that's basically the argument that's happening internally again i'm pulling from other sources because this is just there's a lot of information here yeah. i heard like a, on a a different podcast saying basically, yeah, um, Tim Cook is the CEO of the company. He's able to make these calls. He's got bigger picture. Why are we painting it? Like it's a bad thing that Tim Cook is making decisions rather than letting the engineers run the company, right? Like the guys in the lab making the VR headset should not get to choose what does or doesn't live. They're the ones building it anyway. So I just thought that was an interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. That link for the articles in the show notes again, WWDC, come on. Like, just do it so we can stop talking about the rumors. <laughs> right.
1: I want to see how, I want to see what they do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I want to yeah. see what it
0: does. Exactly. All right. There's also news about Apple testing AI. If if you remember, Apple actually held an internal conference with just Apple employees and staff talking about AI or some kind of like AI summit. Not a ton of news came out from there. No product announcements, obviously, or what they're working on. But apparently the New York Times spoke to someone familiar with that event and offered some insights saying that Apple's Siri team might be actively testing language-generating concepts, uh, to which, again, Mark Gurman of Bloomberg, who is known for all these leaks, he was not as positive. He didn't think that that was happening. But, I mean, I imagine this has to be a thing. The amount of generative AI, meaning generative text like ChatGPT, where you ask it a question and it can just write a bunch of stuff, it is literally everywhere. Notion launched their tool, ChatGPT4 is now out. Bing and Microsoft has added AI to their suite of products. Google announced, this was also news this week, that Google is going to be putting AI into its workplace stuff like Google Docs and Gmail and things like that. I have to imagine that Apple is at least experimenting with AI and some kind of generative language. And it seems like the likely place where, I don't think soon, but in the future, that Siri would be the overarching umbrella that includes some kind of AI, you know, machine learning stuff, which Apple talks about machine learning all the time, even from things like your frequent locations, Siri, Siri, trying to recommend things to you on the lock screen, even as simple as like, do you want to enable do not disturb things like, do you want to share this picture to your shared iCloud photo library because you and another person are in the same location, you know, machine learning. And some of those practices are already a part of Apple's ecosystem, whether or not generative text AI, you know what that might look like in Apple. Uh, Also, Parker Olani, who is at The Verge, he was saying that this is not going to be good for Apple because Apple is historically very slow to adopt new technologies and practices like this. But again, I I would be inclined to say this is not like brand, brand new machine learning, AI using like this kind of all this stuff within their ecosystem and software has been a part of Apple for a while. I don't think you're going to be able to ask Siri to write a sonnet. In the style of Justin Bieber, anytime soon, but you know, Apple is obviously working on it.
1: There's a lot of buzzwords flying around, right? So, first of all, AI is a new word. It's a it's a made up word that took over machine learning. When when people say AI right. today, they actually still mean machine learning. They are not technically different things. They just moved it to a uh much more in vogue term that uh, it's nonsensical because ai used to mean um the terminator sentience you know like actual awareness (laughs) yes yes yes. um so yeah i i I despise this word it's annoying uh because it's again it's just we're going for what's sexy rather than what's correct machine learning is what's happening here top to bottom it's you're giving it a large database it's learning from it and it's spitting out an answer at the end large language models much better than saying AI. I like that. I like LLM. That's a term I've, I've seen tossed around about this stuff.
0: Cause it's all just like lots of really powerful computers processing mm-hmm. lots of information very quickly and has some kind of software to be able to spit it out in some kind of conversational way.
1: Yeah. It's again, like I've mentioned it before, it's, A predictive language model. It it's not intelligent in any way. It's taking a word and deciding using a this giant algorithm, what is the next most logical word to put in the sentence until it creates a sentence structure that sounds like a person is talking. That's all these large language models are. The New York Times seemed to serendipitous in this article because everything was happening uh, when this came out. Chat GPT four, mid-journey two, uh, Google announcements with workspaces and stuff, all of this happened. And the same day, on top of this New York Times piece about, and by the way, uh, there's talk of uh, these models going into Apple. So I I just wanted to, you know, set the stage a little bit about what we're talking about here because zooming back into this piece about what's going on at Apple, I I do want to say I'm with Mark Gurman here. No, we're not going to get a generative text model from Siri. This is kind of like what happened with crypto and NFTs people looked at this piece of technology uh, de- they looked at like a decentralized token system right that would like right the world looked at crypto and said let's make it money and it's like no this technology can be used for so much better more important useful things than fake monopoly money people are going to pass around the internet illegally and then everyone's like oh we we saw 50 articles apple gonna come out with their own crypto coin any day now uh, apple nfts could happen No, no, no. It's all a fad. It's all nonsense. Didn't happen. And then we turn around and see the same thing happening again here. It's a important fad, but it is still a fad. These chatbot things are cool, they're fun, but the fact that everyone's saying they're going to replace Google worries me a little bit because they're hallucinating chatbots that don't really give you any real information. They're just <laughs> toys. And people are like, Yeah, it's the future of search. And then uh... you look at and then you look at Apple. I'm almost done, I promise. <laughs> then you look at Apple, say, Yeah, it's Siri, Chat GPT, all this stuff. It's like, no, Apple's Obviously examining this stuff, large language models and the future of artificial intelligence, machine learning is all well and good. And they're definitely looking at this, but we're not going to get some sort of input output system like this with Siri. It's just going to go into the underlying frameworks, make Siri better, more intelligent and able to understand conversation. But it's not going to generate stuff like this. There's no way.
0: Mm, I'm going to take devil's advocate here. This episode is brought to you by Notion. Guys, I've used Notion for a long time, planning my videos, my podcasts, doing research, and now they have an incredible tool called Notion AI. Notion AI can help you formulate ideas. It could take some of your bullet points, turn that into an entire blog post, and it actually helps me produce this show. I've begun to use Notion AI. As I put in all the notes and the information we talked about, Notion helps me brainstorm podcast episode titles and descriptions. I know you've probably heard about AI lately and you're not really sure how to use the tools or where to go, Listen, let me encourage you, try Notion AI today. You can try it for free. Notion AI helps you work faster, write better, and think bigger. Doing tasks that normally take you hours, you can do in just a few seconds. You can use Notion across all of your notes and documents, and you don't have to jump between your work and a separate AI power tool. That's one of the reasons why I switched to Notion AI. I didn't wanna to go to some other website and try to get some text from there and then put it in a note. I can do it all right in Notion. You can even select text that you've written. Maybe it's an email, maybe it's a script, and you can have Notion AI make it more casual sounding, make it more professional sounding. It can change the tone of the writing in just a few seconds. Use Notion AI to improve writing, summarize pages, find action items, translate into any language and more. You can select whatever text in a Notion document and just click the Ask AI button and you can increase your productivity like never before. Again, I've been using it personally and of all the AI tools, I truly love using Notion AI. So for a limited time, you can try Notion AI for free when you go to Notion.com slash Apple Insider. That's all lowercase letters, Notion.com slash Insider to try out the incredible power of Notion AI today. And when you use our link, you're supporting the Apple Insider podcast. This is a limited time offer. Try Notion AI for free right now at Notion.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Notion for sponsoring this episode and our friends at Collide. Collide has some big news. If you're an Okta user, they can get your entire fleet to 100% compliance. How do they do that? Well, if a device isn't compliant, the user can't log into your cloud apps until they've fixed the problem. It's that simple. Collide patches one of the major holes in zero trust architecture, which is device compliance. Without Collide, IT struggles to solve basic problems like keeping everyone's OS and browser up to date. Unsecured devices are logging into your company's apps because there's nothing there to stop them. Well, Collide is the only device trust solution that enforces compliance as part of authentication, and it's built to work seamlessly with Okta. The moment Collide's agent detects a problem, it alerts the user and gives them instructions to fix it. If they don't fix the problem within a set time, they're blocked. Collide's method means fewer support tickets, less frustration, and most importantly, 100% fleet compliance. Visit Collide.com slash Apple Insider to learn more or book a demo. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash Apple Insider. Collide.com slash Apple Insider. thanks to Collide, Sponsoring this episode, mm, I'm going to take Devil's Advocate here. They are a sponsor this week, not planned, but Notion AI, which I've been using even for my own purposes. It is a powerful tool, and I'm literally in a in a Twitter conversation. Someone just tweeted at me because I talked about Notion AI, and then Jeffrey Sadoras he was tweeting at me. If AI is doing the heavy lifting of coming up with titles and descriptions for podcast episodes, what are you actually bringing to the table? And so I replied to him, but I'll reply here on the podcast. You know, Wes and I are here talking for an hour and William's on next week. Every week we talk for an hour. Plus the work is curating the news, trying to get the most interesting articles, the headlines figuring out what is worth talking about, getting the key information from those articles so that we can communicate that to you over this hour.
1: Subject matter experts too. We have to know what we're talking about.
0: Right. <laughs> then also adding commentary. What do we think about it? What is important about it? How does this affect the common user, the everyday person? And then also like there is an element of entertainment. Like I want this to be entertaining. I want you to listener be able to listen to this on the weekend or on your drive home and yes feel more informed but also enjoy listening that is entertainment and so ai can't do any of that right now you can ask ai like what are the best features of the iphone and it'll give you some stock answer but it's not going to entertain you for an hour by talking to you now what can ai do well once we're done recording this podcast it can't edit it for me yet i still handcraft editing this show every week and so i'm going to spend a couple hours editing it and put together the show notes. Shortcuts, it's not AI, but I use shortcuts to automate the process of formatting the show notes for me, and that saves me a lot of time. Can, what can Apple use AI for? What I use Notion AI for sometimes, and what Apple might be able to do is in this note, we're looking at a shared note right now, Wes and I. We have all the articles and the links in here. I have bullet points of what I thought was most interesting from those articles, information I wanted to cover. If I could, in this Apple note, like I can in Notion, select the text and then ask Apple Notes, write a episode title for this podcast. And it give me 10 different options for episode titles. That would be an incredible service to me as the podcast creator where the work has already been done. Like we already curated the news. We already talked about it. We already voiced our commentary and analysis. And if it can help figure out a title that, A, might be a little SEO optimized, which maybe I'm not great at, but it can figure out like, what will make this title interesting to more people, which, listen, I don't like SEO as a practice because it feels kind of grimy or whatever, like you're trying to trick people. But the bottom line is, if you want people to read and listen and watch your content, you do have to think about the titles and descriptions of... It's
1: a modern state of the internet. Google, it's a Google, Google-created world that we live in. We have to abide by their rules.
0: Right, but also think about like newspapers. What was the headline of the front page of the newspaper if not... Optimizing for the passerby on the newsstand to catch their eye and make them want to pick up the newspaper and read it, like it wasn't search engine optimization, but it was certainly eye attention optimization.
1: So I, I want, I want to, I want to be clear here. Back up a little bit. I know that I might be coming off incredibly negative on these things, <laughs> but. I I just – I'm trying to be more grounded, all right? I can address the fact that these are important tools for the future. And what you're describing with, like, Notion and uh, creating titles from uh, a note and stuff, that's all amazing use cases for large language models. I am totally behind that. That's great. Let Notion make a bot that, that like, lets you – have conversations with it or disseminates notes for you or describes images for you those are all great use cases what i'm talking about when i'm like hyper negative on this is the idea that these things are intelligent in some way and oh, that they're yeah, going yeah. to take over the search engine market or they're going to change the how we do things like Yes, they they're they're very important for our future but the version that we see the raw data input output of a chat GPT model is not the future that is a fun toy but that is a just small tiny little just like crypto and nfts that is the tiniest little pinprick of a possibility of what this technology offers yeah. versus the entire universe of possibilities like you're saying assistance, and mm-hmm. tools and information uh, collection things like there's been so much about this around Apple and I know I know we don't have much time but I've seen so many examples of this uh, being so funny and so clever. Someone created a concept art of iMessage with one of those books you get from your friend telling you a story yeah. about how they almost died or something. Yes. And then uh, a, a chatbot at the bottom says, don't worry, uh, this guy survived. And that, yeah, yeah. that's, you know, just summarizing the text. <laughs> I love text. it.
0: I want that for voicemails. Yeah. I want, to, if there's a three minute voicemail for Siri to just say, hey, he wants to know if you want to have lunch tomorrow at noon. Would love that. Yeah. But when it comes to the generative language, you know, if it was Apple Notes and Pages or just the iWork suite, I don't think it's going to be soon, but I could see years down the road, just like you can in Notion and maybe Bing, to be able to select some text and then ask Pages or Apple Notes, hey, can you make this into a blog post? Like, I have a bunch of ideas here. I have some information. I'm just struggling to formulate it. Can you help me do it? Yeah. I think I think Apple could could do that. I do think privacy and security is going to be maybe the bigger like slower down of this process because
1: they're going to take their time because of that. Right.
0: And the nature of all these AI tools is it has to talk to the internet. You know, there's not like a local AI thing.
1: Well, actually that's, that's the funny part. They're getting smaller and chat GPT four proves that these models are getting even smaller. And again, we don't need the entire collection of these ai models or these large language models to work we only need a portion of them to be hyper focused on whatever we're doing so you, you know if you can fit a large language model about email com- composition into the mail app that's only a few megabytes or something yeah that is all you need and um i believe apple the approach here and again what financial times misalluded to no siri isn't going to become chat gbt but i do believe that as time goes on more and more apps and things inside of apple are going to rely on localized privatized models using local data that is yours to inform these language models to give you helpful information and that's where i stand on this like again it's it's a double-edged sword i'm not saying these are bad i'm just saying we need to take a breath and examine what's really happening here a couple of small examples that i've seen rolling around of this chat gpt stuff that i thought was amazing someone Asked ChatGPT to write an app using Swift. I think this is ChatGPT for the newest model that came out. Mm. And it was able to get comp- basically create code that worked. Like, that's insane. Uh, so, like, I could definitely see an Xcode uh, using a large language model to help coders get stuff done. Someone wrote an entire, now this is sleazy, I, I know, but they wrote a bot using ChatGPT based on their preferences and conversation tactics inside of Tinder to swipe through Tinder, find people that they would prefer and have entire conversations with them, set up a date and he has been on 13 dates through ChatGPT. I am not joking. Like so this stuff is Sheesh. crazy yeah, and it's, crazy. it's dangerous and it's powerful and I and we're all just along the roller coaster ride for it and I, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes, but where what we're seeing now it's more early day stuff and uh, sure. we just need to be a little bit more patient and a little and a little more grounded in our approach and
0: speaking of machine learning and things being fake so there was huge news where the samsung phone the s23 ultra mkbhd in one of his shorts and then a bunch of other people pointed his phone at the moon on some clear evening used the 100x zoom to get real up close to the moon, and then took a picture of that moon with the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra that looked impressively good. It looked like an incredible picture to capture with a phone of the moon. Then things happened, and then someone on Reddit did an experiment to try and figure out what the S23 Ultra was doing as it took a picture of this moon very far away. Turns out Samsung is using so much computational photography, and also using the fact that the moon, if you didn't know, the moon is like orbit locked with earth, meaning the same side of the moon faces the earth all the time. So the moon will always look at the same at any point in the year, at any time, the craters and everything will be in the same place using what Samsung phone knows the moon looks like. And if your photo is a little blurry or you're trying to get that 100X, it will basically use that information to enhance your picture and maybe add detail to the moon in your photo that wasn't actually captured by the camera. It is basically enhancing the picture of that moon using what it knows the moon looks like and it is uh, faking it a little bit, faking a little bit of the photo. And MKBHD actually released a whole like long form video kind of describing how he was quote unquote wrong about, you know, that whole short and saying this is what it looks like and really tried to explain the process. It was a great video. You should check it out. But a lot of people now kind of like, oh, (laughs) the Samsung S23 Ultra uh, takes fake pictures of the moon. Like it's not actually taking a picture. And yeah.
1: <laughs> so this is this is one of those fun things that um we actually have real information now. This isn't just people guessing and Correct. experimenting with monitors. Uh Samsung previously had a in Korean uh community note about how the moon photos work and it's been posted for a while and they just put out an English transi- translation. Okay. And uh, so on top of that, there's there's a lot of there's just a lot of information here. I've been researching it. I have this gigantic like 2000 word piece coming out about <laughs> Um, the future of, uh, computational photography and how this is just only the beginning. And basically I expect there's going to be a war for realism and photos uh, very soon. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so first of all, it's a physics issue. Your phone has a tiny sensor with tiny little glass lens,
0: smaller than a postage stamp physics. <laughs> small. Yeah.
1: Like physics requires in order for you to photograph the moon, have a, certain diameter lens and a certain diameter sensor that is able to take in a certain amount of light nowhere near what a phone can okay so this isn't just a oh it's a samsung thing or an iphone thing oh my iphone can take a pretty picture of the moon no you cannot physically get a high deep high resolution shot of the moon with that size of a lens but what samsung is doing because they know this and it's clever is basically what they've done is uh, you're aware of the deep fusion process where it takes yes. in a in a low light room it takes like eight to ten photos whatever right. goes through finds the best portion of each exposure combines them using an algorithm and here's your sweater photo that is glorious right right. Samsung is doing the same thing, right? This is a very basic form of computational photography. You, you're doing image stacking. We used to do this before manually in things like Photoshop, where you'd stack exposures that you took yourself. But Samsung has added an extra step, and this is all detailed in Samsung's piece, right? Yeah. Uh, there is a final step that happens after the image is c- compiled. If the device has sensed there sh- is a moon in the photo, and it cannot be obscured by anything, so it's not behind a tree branch or whatever, it will then use its uh, onboard data that has been trained on high resolution images of the moon to add detail to that moon so basically it's coloring in what can't have been seen by the the phone camera because it just physically right. cannot see it right. and it's not faking it i don't think that's the right word i think it's altering it i think it's, <laughs> it's fabrica- enhancing it <laughs> it's fabricating it's, it's fabricating it's, it's, yeah no i think that's it it's fabricating a new moon for your photo to make it Look like a moon. Now, this has been done since you know the dawn of photography and computers. People go in, they see that there's a moon in the background. They just go grab a generic image of the moon and slap it over that giant glow, glowing orb in the background. Then, ta-da, it's a beautiful moon in the background that there's no way you expose that in that shot. But it's there. It looks cool, great. And Samsung is doing this automatically without telling the user. And this is where the conversation gets to, and I'll shut up. Um, <laughs> so. I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing. I think that Samsung messed up in not really making this a... They should have popped up the first time someone took a picture of a, of a moon and said, hey, we're doing this. Now, Stephen, how long do you think they've been doing this?
0: I mean, this is not the first time they've had 100x zoom. I feel like that was on the 22 Ultra also.
1: This engine is called the Scene Optimizer. And the oh, scene optimizer oh, years.
0: It's been three to four years at least.
1: No, no, no. Samsung has had the Scene Optimizer built into their software since the S... 10 well, right all right then. and i know there's a jump <laughs> and there's a jump there they they went from like the s10 to the s20 right yeah something, something like, like that, that. Yeah. okay so at least five or six years so a few years all right but the scene optimizer didn't account for the moon then it started accounting for the moon and doing a similar kind of thing since the s20 and so this has been going on for a while but now i guess the algorithm has gotten good enough and the Uh, Detail and understanding of how to replace the moon and the images has gotten good enough that we're noticing it more in the S twenty three. So the fact that it's been going on so long is just laughable to me that we're just now kind of figuring this out. And again, I think that's a bad move on Samsung. They should, if you're altering the core data in a photo that is not being exposed because that information did not come from the sensor, it just didn't. And I and I want to highlight because I know I can I can hear the tweets coming. This is different from computational photography like on anything else that we've seen so far because yes that exposure algorithm that denoising system whatnot on the iphone that 100 billion processes that occur when you hit the shutter button
0: something crazy yes
1: that information was not from the sensor it's coming from a chip but to be clear those are for altering information from the sensor they're not introducing new external photos and information and data to that information from the sensor i want to be clear about that so samsung has introduced a new step and i'm sure other phones have been doing this for a while we'll find out about more i'm sure at some point but um specifically this thing for the moon and that scene optimizer also optimizes food shots and stuff like that it's probably replacing textures on hamburger meat or something i don't know (laughs) i have this question for you steven what do you think about this uh as far as the future of photography, do you want to know that your phone is doing this or do you not care?
0: I think knowing that the phone is doing it is important. And that's one of the things the Reddit user pointed out was the advertisements that Samsung used for the S23 Ultra, one of them literally said moon with a big picture of the moon and then the Samsung cameras as the O's. And it was basically implying that our camera is so amazing it will capture photos of the moon like this.
1: There were misleading customers, yes. It
0: was, it was a misleading advertisement. Now, when it comes to computational photography, I feel like a good example of this on the iPhone is like cinematic mode on the iPhone. Your iPhone camera lens and sensor cannot capture that kind of depth of field naturally, blurring the background, keeping the subject in focus. It's just like Wes said, physics, it's not possible. And so when Apple introduced cinematic mode, it is very clear. We are using computational photography and the LiDAR and depth mapping to create this effect. And I think that is the key word. It is an effect on top of the video footage. It is not something the camera is capturing directly. It is a post-processing effect. Like I've used cinematic mode in some of my videos and it can look really good. And I have no problem putting that out there because it's good footage, it's computational photography. But I think making it clear that this is what the chip is doing. This is something that we're able to do post capture that makes it look this good and when you specify that instead of advertising our phone can take pictures of the moon like this i feel like there's an implication there that our camera is so good it can capture the moon right. and it looks like this naturally handheld at night which is not the case if they were to say we have a moon effect or we have this scene improvement uh, toggle And if you turn it on, you can take pictures of the moon like this. We are doing this, that, and the other, which I feel like Apple is always very good in the uh, events and announcements. Uh, We're doing this with Deep Fusion. We're doing this with cinematic mode. We're doing this with like ProRes, or we're doing this with uh, like even the tone, the different photography or photographic styles, where you can change the tone of the picture. I feel it's always very clear from Apple that this is a post-processing or some kind of effect that it is putting on what you capture
1: yeah and other than deep fusion because deep fusion and the photonic engine are happening in the background because those are literally only for texture and exposure again they're not introducing new data other than those two everything else is toggleable uh on iphone you don't default into portrait mode you don't default into cinematic mode you have to go and seek those modes out you have to you know toggle on and off live photos you have to all of these things are controls. Uh, night mode is a control, All and those are all computational photography. Apple's been doing this since iPhone 7 in portrait mode, and it's only improved since. My piece will be out probably around the time this podcast uh, comes out, so go go read it. Um, I'll try and get it in the show notes. It may not be available to be put in the show notes when I write them, so we'll see what happens, but uh, go, go seek it out. Really long piece about this, uh, what we've discussed, but I just wanted to pose the question before we go here. Uh, basically... In this future, so Apple and Samsung, Android, all the stuff's always been tribalism. And I think the next tribal war that we're going to have is going to be realism versus synthesized. And Android, I believe, and Samsung especially, is going to lean heavily into synthesis. They're going to lean into these algorithms and these things that make the photos better than reality. And even we've seen this already Google Pixel has been advertising their Pixel cameras, giving you memories that are better than you remember them, right? Right. And and stuff. Maybe like so. just a
0: magic eraser tool like you can literally take a person out of the background of a photo to clean it up and it's like you could just swipe with your finger which I think is hilarious you can also do now in Google photos on iPhone so it's not even a pixel exclusive feature yeah, and, Google, and Google's <laughs>
1: been um, advertising that as like get pixel for this feature. And it's like, yeah, I can do that on my iPhone. And now it's on iPhone. And and you can do that with a lot of photo editing apps. Like there's magic erasing tools and a lot of, that's been a thing for a while. It's just Google's making it a primary feature of their phone. How long until it's automatic when there's a setting in the Android phones that says automatically remove everyone that isn't me and my boyfriend in my photos. These algorithms are going to get good enough to do that soon enough. Um, And I, I'm just curious what the listeners think, you know, reach out Twitter, Mastodon, whatever what 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 do you think like i yeah. it is my, my belief is sadly this is going to, to march forward and we're going to see a lot of android phones and stuff have this stuff on by default and people aren't going to know to turn it off and they're just going to have all of their photos algorithmically altered forever uh and because and again it's not i don't know if this is necessarily a bad thing it's just different and yeah. me personally i don't want that I, if i want something to change in my photo i will go edit it i will go change it or if there's a fancy setting that lets me remove uh certain things from my photo or whatever let me do that manually and right now yes magic eraser is manual but how long will it be and uh so it, it's curious observing this happening now and what happens next will apple introduce anything that uses external image data to alter a photo I don't believe they will not without a user okay. permission anyway
0: I, I agree so listeners let us know what you think you can tweet and mastodon Wes and myself it's good to be back this week I'm glad I'm with you all listeners and with you Wes we'll even be on next week and I'll rag on him about Ted Lasso again you can support the show get early access in an ad free version at patreon.com slash appleinsider or directly in apple podcast you can subscribe right there and your feed just changes over to the ad free and early access version Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode.